If interruptions are unavoidable, what can we learn from them? How should we respond? Dr. Mark Job. Joseph's life had also been interrupted by something he did not expect, didn't ask for. His life is interrupted. Yet God says to Joseph, Joseph, fear not, trust me. Thanks for connecting with Moody Presents, featuring the teaching ministry of Moody Bible Institute President, Dr. Mark Job. He's also founder of New Life Community Church in Chicago. We're looking at divine interruptions, and let me take this moment to wish you and your family a very Merry Christmas from all of us at Moody Presents. You know, when you think about it, the Christmas story is filled with these divine interruptions. More about that as we dive into today's message. First, though, let you and I take a seat in Moody Bible Institute's Tory Gray Auditorium. Come on, you're about to enjoy an excerpt from our annual performance of Candlelight Carols. Every year we bring together our choirs and orchestra and celebrate the birth of Jesus in song, in drama, and in scripture readings. So let's you and I pause now and listen to a great excerpt as our combined choirs sing Joy, Joy. Like a drama unfolding, the curtain was opening while an audience of angels was holding its breath. A census, a manger to travel one strangers. The stage was finally set. Angels folded their Worshiping as God whispered, I love you, my son. Jesus took off his crown and laying it down, said, Father, thy will be done. The time had now come for God's only son to be born as a light in a dark, lonely place. So he stepped from heaven's hall to Bethlehem.
the sounds of candlelight carols. Maybe you'd like to make plans to join us in person next year. It's quite an event. Food trucks, things for the family to do, and more, all on our campus. We hope to see you then. Well, interruptions. You and I see them throughout the gospel accounts of the birth narrative. And as we explore Luke 1 today, we're going to be reminded that trusting God is just not easy. But it does lead to something good. Here's our teacher, Mark Job. Now, Matthew says, Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her public, to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. You say, why divorce? Well, again, I mentioned he was only engaged to her, but in those days, an engagement was as legal as marriage. So because Joseph did not want to disgrace Mary... He thought, I'm going to go through a quiet divorce here. I don't want to publicly shame her. In his mind, he was wrestling. Now, he had found out through Mary that she was pregnant. She came to him, and imagine Mary coming to him and saying, Hey, Joseph, I know this is hard to believe. An angel showed up to me and, you know, came to me, and he said that I'm going to be the mother of the Messiah. So uh, Joseph is like, Okay, Mary, you okay? Yes, but I'm pregnant. Just want to let you know that. Oh, So Joseph is wrestling through all this. He's trying to figure this out. In his mind, he's thinking, I'm going to divorce her. I'm going to let her go. I don't want to shame her. But listen, Matthew 120. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, here it goes, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Now here's what I want you to see. Joseph's life had also been interrupted by something he did not expect, didn't ask for. His life is interrupted. Yet God says to Joseph, Joseph, fear not. Your life has been interrupted, but I still have a plan. Trust me in your plan. Basically, what God is telling Joseph is, I know interruption has happened. I know you don't fully understand it. I know you can't even conceive of how Mary could be impregnated by God and that birth and that baby that she is carrying will be the Messiah while she's still a virgin. I know scholars can't even understand it. I know it's a mystery. I know it's hard to understand, hard to grasp that you will be the father of a child that you did not actually help reproduce. But I want you to take a deep breath, Joseph. I want you to trust me. I'm wondering how many people today God is saying, take a deep breath. Trust me. Hey, take a deep breath. Trust me. You may not understand the whole story, but trust me. I'm still in control. You know, can I tell you that It's hard to trust God, isn't it? When you don't know the outcome. We, when when our life is interrupted, oftentimes two things may set in. One, paralysis. We don't know what to do. The second is anger because our life has been interrupted. But it's hard to trust God. 
It's hard to pause and say, God, I'm going to trust you even though I don't know the outcome. You know, there's an animal in Africa called the, uh, called the African impala. It's like a gazelle, like a big deer. This incredible animal can jump 10 feet high. Think about that. And it can jump 30 feet long. Think about that. I mean, so 10 feet high, 30 feet long, that is one big jump. So this is an incredible, powerful animal. It can run up to speeds of 50 miles, 50 to 56 miles per hour. It could actually break the speed limit on I-55. Think about that. It's a powerful animal. 10 feet high, 30 feet long, 56 miles per hour. Yet this magnificent creature can be kept enclosed in a zoo with a three-foot wall. You know why? If the animal cannot see the other side of where it's going to land, it won't jump. If the animal cannot see over the three-foot fence... What will happen if it jumps and lands on the other side, then it will be kept bound in a zoo, limited, caged in by a three-foot fence that it could easily jump over, but if it can't tell where it's going to land. So what they do is they make the zoo in such a way, they put the fence in such a way where the animal can't see where it will land, and it is kept there even though it can jump 10 feet high, 30 feet long. If it doesn't know where it's going to land, it won't jump. That's the way it is in our lives. Faith and trusting God is that way. Sometimes when we can't tell how things are going to turn out, we can't tell where our feet are going to land, we can't see into the future, and so oftentimes we don't obey. We don't take a step. We, we don't trust God because we say, well, what if I jump and it doesn't work out? What if I try and I fall? What if I... And so we're caught and staged and bound by a three-foot wall of doubt. God told Joseph, Joseph, marry her. Trust me. He didn't know where he was going to land. He didn't know if people were going to ridicule him. He didn't know how this was going to turn out. But listen, hear me well. If he would have said no, if he would have divorced her, we would have only heard maybe a mention of his name in the Bible, maybe no mention of name. He would have have given up the ability to be the father to Jesus the Messiah. He would have given up that privilege of being the person The father that raised Jesus, the carpenter, this man with rough hands of a carpenter that actually taught Jesus his first, um, his first, how to cut the wood for the first time, that watched him take his first steps, that uh, traveled alongside Jesus in the journey that was there when Jesus said his first words. He would have bypassed all that, the Son of God, the Messiah, the living Jesus, 
being born into uh, this family, he would have bypassed all that if he would not have trusted God. You know, Joseph is one of those characters, I think, that we don't talk enough about. Um, we talk more about Mary. Obviously, she was the biological mother. But here's a man... Uh, at least four times, Joseph heard from God and immediately acted. When he heard that Mary was pregnant, God said, marry her anyways, and he did. In Luke chapter 2, when they were out to kill Jesus, the Spirit, the, the, the Spirit of God said, flee to Egypt, which is northern Africa, and he did. He became an immigrant. Maybe some of you have forgotten the story of Jesus, that Jesus the Messiah and his family at one time were immigrants, living in a different country, with a different language, with a different culture, without family. Jesus migrated to northern Africa, to Egypt, to escape the plight of those that were seeking to kill him. In Luke chapter 2, it was the Spirit of God that spoke to him, and he returned to Israel. He obeyed again. And also in Luke, he moved from Bethlehem to Nazareth because God said, move. Four times, this man trusts God, obeys him in the middle of interruption. And then lastly, I'm talking about when your life is interrupted. Lastly, there's another fear not another interruption, another, what's going on here? Well, you've seen it in the manger scenes. You've heard the stories. In Luke chapter 2, verse 8 through 12, it says, But there were shepherds living out in a field nearby, keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of God shone around them, and they were terrified. These are simple men, shepherds, viewed as low-class citizens in that era. They were typically poorly educated, not well paid, spent days and days out in the field with animals. They weren't as clean and fluffy as you see in our manger scenes. These were a group of people that it actually tells us their testimony wasn't often allowed in court because they were viewed as sketchy individuals. I love it. I love the fact that the angels appeared to sketchy individuals. I love the fact that the angels appeared to marginalized, outcast. I, I love the fact that it wasn't to kings. It wasn't to scholars. It wasn't to the high priest. It wasn't in the temple. I love the fact that when Jesus was born out in the fields, the, the host of angels decided to display their splendor to the nobodies, the outcast, the rejects. Those that were viewed a little bit like, these aren't important in society. I love the fact, I think it was deliberate by God. Oh, I know it was deliberate by God. Because God was making a statement. The angels, I'm sure they gathered together and said, shepherds? 
I mean, there's a palace down the street. How about the palace? No. Shepherds? You mean these guys that barely have an education? These guys that are dirty, that smell, that people look down upon? Why them? Oh, you don't understand. Because this good news is for everybody, all people, the marginalized, the outcast, those that other people look down upon. This will be a savior that does not discriminate, but a savior that'll touch the lives of people of all kinds, of every kind, and the first will be the poor, the lowly, the marginalized, the outcast. This is good news for all people. And the Bible says that the angelic host appeared before them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy, listen, for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. His name is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Years later, the Apostle Paul would write, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God has chosen the lowly things of the world and the despised things and those things that are not to nullify those things that are so that no man may boast before him. Has your life been interrupted? Are you in the gap, confused, dazed, wondering about your future? I think the word that God says to you today is fear not, for I am with you. You say, Pastor, but I'm a nobody. Why would God care about me? You've missed the point of the gospel for all people. No matter where you grew up or where you've been or what you know, for all people, there's good news of great joy for all people. This is not the background for a festive celebration. This is the heart of our salvation. This is... God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit who have eternal, eternally passed have always existed as a triune God. And as man and woman were created in His image with a deep love for them, there was a tragedy called the fall of man in which they sinned against the God that had created them. And that relationship was broken. And everyone born from Adam on has been passed down with this sin nature, the seed of sin, which gives us the proclivity to sin, the natural inclination to turn our hearts away from God. Generation after generation after generation is turned away from God. But a second Adam was born. The Bible refers to him as the second Adam because the first Adam and the second Adam had the same thing in common. They were created by the Father. They were created by the Father. 
but without a sin nature. Hundreds of prophecy predicted that this God-man would be born. He would be different. He would be unique. He would not have the sin nature. Up until that time, doves were sacrificed. Lambs were killed. Temple worship was a bloody affair because they had to kill animals and sacrifice animals for the sins of the people. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. All that stopped because 33 years after the birth of this God child who lived a sinless life, he died on a cross. And he shed the blood that had the DNA of David, but he shed the blood that would symbolize the blood of God, the perfect lamb being sacrificed for you and I to pay a price that you and I could not pay. And that's the price of our sin. Jesus did not come just to be a king baby to be born. He came to be Messiah. That means the Savior. His death 33 years later on the cross was the ultimate mission that he came for. It was all leading up to that moment. Why? Because if there had been any other way, Jesus would have never come. He came and he died on that cross because he knew that you and I needed someone to pay the price for the sins that we ourselves could not pay for. That's why Jesus Christ rose from the grave. Because only the power of death is sin. And where there is sinlessness, there is no power in death. Jesus rose. And the invitation now stands for all human beings, everyone that is willing to accept that gift of salvation that we come to him and he says the gift is for everybody but there has to be faith and willingness to accept that gift
from Candlelight Carols, that, of course, is the much-loved O Holy Night. Well, you know the songs of Christmas, you know the story of Christmas, but do you really know the Christ of Christmas? I guess what I'm asking is, have you made him the leader of your life, the forgiver of your sins? It's possible that you might merely have a good feeling about Jesus, a sort of religious vibe, but that's not enough. You need to be saved. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. But believe what? I mean, there's all kinds of porch signs this time of year that say, believe, as in Santa Claus. That's not the kind of belief we're talking about here. We're not talking about belief in faith itself. No, the Bible says, if you will confess with your mouth, that means agree. If you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you want that right now, let's pray right now. I'll try to give you some space as I lead us in prayer. And again, you can pray along with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I admit it. I've messed up. I'm a sinner. Would you please forgive me? Would you help me turn away from this lifestyle of selfishness? I want you to be in charge of me from this day forward. Please be my savior. Amen. You know, we'd love to hear from you if you've decided to follow Christ. And we've got some great resources at our website, moodypresents.org, to start you on your journey. But why not send us an email and share your story with us when you write moodypresents at moody.edu. And we hope that you and your family have a very Merry Christmas. I'm John Geiger, and Moody Presents is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.